0: This episode of the Children's Literature Podcast is brought to you by Cravings for a Really Good Burger in an American Diner. Cravings for a Burger in an American Diner. Oh man, I'm so hungry right now. Welcome to the Children's Literature Podcast. I'm your host, T.Q. Townsend. This is a review of Episode 5 of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Here's your spoiler warning. If you haven't read the Percy Jackson series or seen the new TV show based on the books, go read the books, then go watch the show, and come on back. Episode 5 of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, A God Buys Us Cheeseburgers, is based on the last part of chapter 14 through the opening of chapter 16 of The Lightning Thief by Rick Reardon. The episode begins with Percy climbing back onto dry land after communing with a water spirit at the bottom of the muddy Mississippi. In the book, Percy comes out of the water dry. This happens every time he gets in and out of water because he has water-related powers. But in the show, after he comes out of the river, he's soaked. I didn't bring this up to be picky but rather to say that this is a good example of abridgment. The filmmakers would have had to spend time telling us about this power, or money showing us with special effects. The episode needs to get moving along, and it already has a lot of expensive special effects later on. When abridging a story, filmmakers have to trim things that aren't critically important. And Percy's ability to be instantly dry after a swim isn't that important. The mistake filmmakers often make, though, is that they cut out too many little things that do matter, or they completely rewrite major parts of the story. And this definitely happens in this episode. When Annabeth sees Percy alive, she gives him a big old hug. But this moment doesn't feel particularly earned. She's been nothing but prickly toward him up until this point. Gruff characters can be a lot of fun, but if that's the way the filmmakers wanted to depict Annabeth... They should have known that I wouldn't believe that she would worry that much about Percy or be so demonstrative toward him. In the book, Grover's the one who hugs him, which is far more believable, as the two are actually very close friends who have been through a lot together. The kids spot the three fates, who appeared much earlier in the book, glaring at Percy from the porch of a fruit stand as he makes his way home after getting kicked out of school. In the show, they've taken up a position among emergency workers at the base of the damaged gateway arch, They are knitting with electric blue yarn, though, just like in the book, and I loved the way they looked. Those three old ladies had the best stink faces I've ever seen. Annabeth says that the presence of the fates means somebody's going to die, and Percy replies, we're all going to die eventually. Excellent use of stoicism, young Percy. This can seem like a throwaway line, and it's not from the original book, but this moment perfectly summarizes the philosophy of stoicism. It emerged in ancient Greece, but its most famous adherent was the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius. The goal of Stoicism is eudaimonia, or the contentment that comes from a life well-lived. The goal is not happiness. Happiness is actually tricky to define if you think about it, and if you spent your entire life being happy, how would you even know you were happy if you never felt any other emotions in contrast? A huge component of Stoicism is a total acceptance of the fact that we're mortal. As Marcus Aurelius pointed out, even if you believe in an afterlife, that doesn't change the fact that this life, the one you're living now, is a one shot deal. None of us should be wasting the time we have, and because this life is fleeting, we should appreciate it all the more. You can use this quick moment to begin a discussion about Stoic philosophy with your kids. Stoicism has had a huge impact on the world but it's usually horribly misunderstood. Stoicism doesn't mean accepting everything bad that happens without feeling anything, and it doesn't mean plodding along through life without emotion or enjoyment. Quite the opposite. True Stoics find deep and profound enjoyment in life, something that's possible because of their pragmatic acceptance of the world as it is. Have your kids look up prominent quotes by Stoic philosophers, and then have a discussion about them. I find that doing this while on a hike makes for an especially good conversation. But back to the show. In this episode, the kids have a fun little side quest given to them by Ares, the god of war. When Ares first rolled up, my reaction was to think that he didn't look particularly intimidating. In The Lightning Thief, Ares' appearance is pretty fearsome. His face is scarred, he's absolutely enormous, and he has a massive knife strapped to his thigh. His bike is painted with flames and equipped with dual holsters for his shotguns and a seat made of human skin. Oh, and he wears sunglasses to conceal the fact that instead of eyes, he has empty sockets full of flame. That would scare the kids. You do not want some dude who looks like he would eat every character from Sons of Anarchy for breakfast rolling up in your family show. So Ares looks like what a well-adjusted ten-year-old would imagine a biker looks like. And that's fine. The funny thing is that in the book— Percy thinks that Aries would make pro-wrestlers run for Mama, and the role is played by pro-wrestler Adam Copeland. I really hope this connection is intentional, but even if it's not, Copeland is the most perfectly cast character in the series so far. His performance is the perfect mix of sarcastic, aggressive, patronizing, funny, brooding, and intimidating. I'd never seen this dude before watching the episode, and I really want to see him some more the writers gave Copeland some great material to work with. Most of his dialogue doesn't come exactly from the text of the book, but it's very compatible with the character as written. When he first sees the kids at the diner, he gleefully calls out, Give me a second, I'm just starting a fight on Twitter here. This is a nice update of the character, as when The Lightning Thief was first published, social media didn't exist. And it makes sense that the God of War would absolutely love Twitter. Ares spitefully refers to Athena's owl as a fat, nasty little feathered rodent, and he calls the kids dummies and idiots to their faces. The lines are perfectly delivered, so we can see that Ares is rude, but again, this is a family show, so we don't want him to actually talk like a bleepity bleepin' biker. The only thing the show missed is that no shots were framed so that we could properly see how big Adam Copeland is. He's six foot five, and it was silly not to take advantage of that as it would add to the sense of Ares being literally and metaphorically bigger and more powerful than mere mortals. By comparison, I've also been enjoying the series Reacher. You can't watch that one, kids. Alan Richson, who plays the title character, is also 6'5", and the show does a great job of showing off just how insanely massive he is. All Percy Jackson and the Olympians had to do was let Ares stand up once during his conversation with the kids at the diner. This could have been a moment that was equal parts funny and scary. But instead, the God of War is sitting down almost every time we see him. The few shots where he is standing, he's framed from angles that make it hard to appreciate his full height. From this point, the show really diverges from what's in the book. In The Lightning Thief, Percy, Annabeth, and Grover all go together to an abandoned water park to retrieve Ares' lost shield. In exchange, the God of War hooks them up with a ride on a big rig full of zoo animals. In the show, Grover remains behind as a hostage, and in a plot twist, the pacifist vegetarian satyr is able to manipulate Ares, pretending to be a fan in order to pump him for information. I can't decide if this scene is totally in-character for Grover or out of character, He's timid, but at the same time, he probably wouldn't be affected by Arie's tendency to stir up negative emotions. I did enjoy the vibe of two extremely contrasting characters, who aren't friends and might be enemies, having an entertaining chat in a diner. It was like a miniature G-rated Quentin Tarantino movie wandered in to say hello. A lot of the show's budget went into the scenes of Annabeth and Percy at the abandoned theme park, and the sequence looks fantastic. This is no surprise, because if there's one thing Disney should be able to get right, it's a theme park. They get on the Tunnel of Love ride, as in the book, but there's a very hilarious addition. As the boat begins moving, the 1993 techno song, What is Love, begins playing. At this, Annabeth asks, What is happening right now? And Percy muses, I feel like I've heard this before. I think at my orthodontist's office, maybe? At this, I started laughing so hard that I almost choked on my chamomile tea, and Mr. Children's Literature Podcast could only groan, I feel old now. A good family show should have moments like this for the parents. No 12-year-old kids are going to get why this bit with a 30-year-old song is funny. And that's why it's funnier. From here, the episode has almost nothing to do with what's in the book. Annabeth and Percy go on a steampunk version of the Pirates of the Caribbean, which does look fun, but instead of being caught in a net designed by Hephaestus, they find the throne he designed to entrap Hera. This does actually come from an ancient Greek legend, and you and your kids can look it up if you like, though I'll warn you ahead of time that Hephaestus is a very unpleasant character, and almost all of the stories about him tell of the awful things he does to women. There's a big moment where Percy volunteers to be trapped on the throne in order to release Ares' shield, and then Hephaestus shows up to mildly gloat. The god of the forge never appears in the book, and I don't know why they bothered adding him, especially because the lines written for the character and the actor's performance of them are underwhelming. Annabeth gets emotional and begs for Percy to be set free. This is supposed to be a huge moment, but it fell pretty flat for me. I never thought that Percy would be trapped for more than two and a half minutes, so there was no reason to worry about him. The only thing I liked about this scene is that Annabeth did show some kind of character development, and she didn't just girlboss her way out of the situation. She persuaded Hephaestus with her genuine loyalty to Percy and her rejection of the cutthroat attitude so common among the Olympians. The kids return the shield to Ares, and as promised, he loads them onto a big rig full of stinky critters. The cliffhanger ending is that Grover says he thinks he's learned from Ares who really stole Zeus's lightning bolt. So how do I rate this episode? I give one to five snapes to screen adaptations of children's books based on how faithful they are to the source material, not how good I thought those adaptations were. I really loved this episode. Ares was the absolute highlight, and I hope that the remaining three parts of the show keep the portions of the lightning thief where Ares plays a part because that sure would be fun to see. But the show is really starting to drift from the novel at this point, so who knows? Whenever adult filmmakers get their mitts on children's books, they tend to make it all about themselves. The worst offenders stick in grown-up themes and subplots that simply don't belong in the story. And then they start adding more and more adult characters until you end up with a film like Wonka, a movie that was allegedly for children despite having only one child in the entire story— and she was just a side character. I hope that doesn't happen here, but I am a bit nervous. So while the character of Ares was the dominant part of the show and was true to the spirit of the book, the substantial changes mean I'm going to have to split this rating right down the middle. I hereby award a god buys Us cheeseburgers two and a half snapes. That's a sentence I never anticipated I would say. Huh. Have you seen this episode yet? What did you and your kids think of it? Let me know. You've been listening to the Children's Literature Podcast. Please subscribe and give the show a rating. Send comments to letters at childrensliteraturepodcast.com. I'm your host, T.Q. Townsend. Thanks for listening.